During Jesus' ministry, he traveled and he preached and he performed miracles. He spoke in parables, addressing moral and spiritual lessons. He gained followers as he went, and we call them the disciples, and they encountered religious opposition from the authorities in that area. Eventually, he was betrayed by Judas and paraded through a corrupt uh, trial and sentenced, eventually, to death. Jesus' crucifixion on a Roman cross is the most pivotal event in Christian belief. And our view through the scriptures is that this was a sacrifice for humanity's sin. According to the Gospels, he rose from the dead after three days, signifying triumph over sin, death, and the grave. Jesus' life and teachings are the entire basis of Christianity. And for five years here at CBC, we've been going through this Jesus series. Two times every year, we've been going through the life of Jesus. We've framed these different occurrences and encounters in Jesus' life like episodes of a TV show. And we've studied the words and works of Jesus because we want to talk like Jesus and we want to walk like Jesus. In this season, in this four-part series, we're going to hit 36 sermons on the life of Jesus. And if you're a young Christian and want to know more about Jesus or just want to refresh uh, yourself on the life of Christ, we've arranged all these sermons on one page on our website so you could go back and listen all the way from the beginning. And I challenge you, if you weren't here in 2019, you could go back and listen and check them out while you do laundry or you drive, and not because it's me talking, but because it's Jesus I'm talking about. So this is part one, the season premiere of Jesus the Series, season nine. Last season, we saw Jesus heal the woman with the issue of blood, and then he sent his 12 disciples out to go and do ministry on their own. And then we saw him feed the 5,000 with just a little boy's lunch. And then he modeled for us what it's like to have rest and Sabbath. Today we're going to talk about water. How many of you are afraid of big bodies of water? You can be honest with us. Okay. Water can be a scary thing. If you watched the first episode, uh, Scott talked about weird faith. If you watched that first one, you have heard how Chloe and I almost drifted out to sea and had to be rescued by a lifeguard. A Gallup poll told us that in uh, 1998 that 64% of us are afraid of deep water. So there's a lot of us in here that either are liars or we just don't like raising our hands for stuff, <laughs> one or the other. <laughs> But I know I've been, there's been several times where I've been out on the ocean or in other deep waters and the dread that just comes over me as I look down and think about how deep it is and how much I can't see, wondering what's below the surface or what would happen if I got stranded out in the water by myself. Seeing Jaws as a young child probably didn't help very much with that. I still go out on the water, but there are times of uneasiness. The Bible speaks often of water, and sometimes the water is seen as a blessing, a quenching of thirst, a blessing of uh, rain, 
uh, Jesus being this never-ending spring uh, and well of water for us. But there are other times in God's Word where it's seen as a much more sinister and scary thing. There are times that it signifies danger and death and even evil, symbolized by this deep water. We can't get past the second verse of the Bible without seeing an example of this in Genesis 1-2. It says, the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Those words there uh, that talk about that darkness and that void and that deep are words that uh, give us the idea of chaos. And God organized it into order and light all the way back at the beginning. I don't know if you've experienced a raging river or an unpredictable wave, but it's a scary thing. It's unknown. It's disorienting. When Noah was probably about seven years old, we took a uh, tubing trip in North Georgia down a river, and it had just recently rained a lot. We didn't really think a lot about it. The water was cold and it was humid outside, so we welcomed the uh, chance to cool ourselves off. But we start down this river and everything's calm and everything's fine. But then we notice on the banks of the river, all these trees were down. Apparently, they had recently had a flash flood. And the water was much higher than it normally is. And we soon found out that this was no calm float. It was the most intense rapids I've ever been on. And I've been whitewater rafting several times, including in New River Gorge. But I wasn't in a raft with a helmet and a guide to tell us where to go. I was in a tube with my seven-year-old son next to me. And I was scary. Uh, it was a scary thing. And I was hanging on to dear life, to Noah's tube, to make sure that he didn't flip or crash into the rocks. There was one section where I am convinced that we went over Niagara Falls. <laughs> it was frightening. And there are times in God's Word where this is the idea that we should get when we think of water, uncontrollable, raging, dark, and deep. And one of those times is found in three of the four Gospels in Matthew, Mark, and John. Jesus had just shown thousands of people who He was, the bread of life. And He did this miraculous thing, the feeding of thousands of people. But then John tells us that he strategically retreats because otherwise this frenzied crowd would have tried to make him king. And that's not what he was there for. That's not what he was seeking. So instead, Jesus went alone to pray. And as he went alone to pray, he sent the disciples off into a small fishing ship to cross the dark sea to the other side. Jesus told them that he would meet up with them later. And here's what happens next in Matthew chapter 14, verse 23. If you want to turn in your Bibles there, there's one in front of you. You can check out your notes in the CBC app. If you've not checked that out, it's awesome. Uh, or, you know, you just have your Bible app up there. But Matthew chapter 14, verse 23, and we're going to be there for a few minutes. It says, after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way away from the land, 
beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. Think about what that might be like out there in the middle of a, a large body of water in a small ship being beaten by the waves. This isn't a cruise ship, but sometimes even cruise ships get tossed. Noah, throw that uh, picture up there. See it? Yeah. You can even get wrecked in a cruise ship back and forth. My parents were out on a cruise ship in 2004 during Hurricane Ivan, and they were sick the whole entire time. It was a terrible time. They didn't have any fun. But this wasn't even a big cruise ship. This was a small fishing vessel. And even these expert fishermen were having trouble. There was a long way from any land. They're getting scared. The Bible says it was the fourth watch of the night that he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. And, he, and they said, it's a ghost. They cried out in fear. They were already scared. They were scared to death. But now something ghostly was coming towards them, walking on the water. It says, immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. You can see the relief come over them. It's Jesus. Maybe he can help us. Probably still a little bit scared, though. Like, I didn't ever see anybody do this before. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when he got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. So after the feeding of the 5,000, they just had seen something amazing. And Jesus told his disciples to get in this boat, go to the other side of this lake. Jesus sent them there. This is big. Jesus sent them there, and they still faced a storm. This substantial storm came, and the, the boat was beaten by the waves. They were already frightened, but then the disciples see this ghostly figure coming to them, walking on the sea. It's Jesus. But he told them not to be afraid. But then Peter says, Jesus, if it's you... Let me walk to you on the water. He doesn't want to just see Jesus do something. He wants to join him in it. And Peter did walk for a short while on the water. Then he got afraid, and he began to sink. The word here, doubt, in this verse, when we look at the Greek, it literally means to be divided into, to be duplicated, double-minded, Jekyll and Hyde, two sides of us fighting each other. Peter wants to walk with Jesus on the water. He has faith, but then fear kicks in. And he looks at the chaos and the darkness of the water, and he gets uneasy, and he gets scared. 
Later, maybe James, the brother of Jesus, was thinking about this story of Peter when he wrote this passage in James 1.6, when he says, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Right after that verse is where James tells us that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. If you've ever experienced doubt, doubt shakes us at our core. And Jesus told Peter that he only had a little faith, but see this, he saved him anyway. See, sometimes we believe that if we could just conjure up some type of superhuman faith, that God would have to do what we, he want, we want him to do. But that's not really how it works. Our faith does not make God more powerful. Our faith does not twist God's arm. The man with the demon-possessed son that brought him to Jesus said, I believe. Lord, help my unbelief. And this is what it looks like to struggle with doubt. I believe God. See, see, when we think about doubt, we think about somebody that says, I don't believe at all. But that's not what doubt is. It's a struggle between faith and fear. And when this man with the demon-possessed son came to Jesus, he said, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. And Jesus healed his son. Jesus did not say we needed elephant-sized faith. He said we need faith the size of a mustard seed. Peter was unstable when he was out on those waves. He had faith, but then fear overcame him. But he still reached out to Jesus. And he, he still said, Jesus, I need you. And Jesus saved his doubting friend, even though his friend didn't have enough faith. And then Jesus and Peter got into the boat, and the storm ceased, and the disciples worshiped Jesus as the Son of God. So what can we learn from this passage, this occurrence in the life of Jesus? And these disciples, as they went through and they experienced this in real time, for us, this is just a story, but one day a long time ago, these were moments in a group of people's lives. Well, the first thing that we can learn is that Jesus is with us. Jesus sent them there, and they still faced a storm. At first, it didn't seem Jesus didn't seem present, but they were on his mind. He knew what was going on, and he did show up in the storm. You aren't promised a life of ease and comfort, but you are promised that he will never leave you or forsake you. The one that died for us walks with us. He's a shepherd that guides us. He's a friend that's beside us a steady presence to lean on, a doctor to heal us, food that sustains us, water that quenches our thirst, light that shows us the way, breath that fills our lungs. You are not alone in the storm. Even when it seems like we are drowning and we're in over our head, all of our problems are under his feet. If you're a follower of Jesus, he promises that, you, that you, he will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus is with us. Secondly, we know that God 
is in control. Not only is he with us, he is in control. Did you know that not every terrible thing that happens to you or to those around you is God's plan? Why? Because sometimes people sin, and God doesn't want that. But, and we can be in that circle of the consequences of someone's sin. Innocent bystanders can feel the results of other people's sin. But there are times where God allows us to face storms and trials so that He might strengthen our faith. Faith is a muscle. And we see that here. Jesus sent them out there to experience an opportunity to grow their faith. And when we use our faith, it gets stronger. Some of you remember back what it was like to stand before a church and get baptized. And that was, you know, a big deal for you. Proclaiming what Jesus had done in our hearts. And we were fearful and nervous. But now, years later, our faith has grown. And maybe you're leading a life group or telling people about Jesus or serving people in need. Why? Because we have worked out our faith muscle. And the same thing happens with trials. After a while, you begin to learn that God is going to bring you through this hardship just like he did in the past over and over and over again. Tony Evans says, why would Jesus let them go through such a fearful situation? Jesus increased their understanding and deepened their experience of him. By God's grace, they had been given an opportunity through fearful circumstances to come to know Jesus at a deeper level and worship him. He's the sovereign son of God who exercises power over all things. And he wants you to discover that he is bigger than your fears. And he invites you to praise him through it all. After Jesus walks on the water and calms their fears, he calms the wind and the waves as well. He's in control. He has the power to calm the storm. Or he has the power to calm us in the storm. And he can do both. And I don't always understand why for one person he decides to calm the storm. And another he decides to give them peace and comfort within that storm. If it was up to us, we would always say, hey, Jesus, just take away the problem. But that's not always his plan. And I don't know why he chooses to do the things he does. His ways are higher than my ways. But you can trust him. He is in control. Thirdly, we understand that God loves us. Love is an action. Love shows up. You find out really quick who loves you when you go through a storm in life. When you're less than your best, when you fall pretty hard, that's when you know whose love is real. Those people that stick by you even when you're not at your best. How many of you know someone that loves to laugh when people trip or get hurt in some way? Huh? It's a weird quirk people have. I may or may not live with someone like that. 
But if we fall, and it's much more than a slip or a trip, and there was serious injury, I'd like to think that those people would take it seriously. And I know for Tori, in the past, when it becomes evident that there is actual physical harm, and the ambulance shows up, Early on, I don't even, maybe in Atlanta or something like that, uh, we were at a mall one time and a guy was looking at his phone and he smacked his head so hard on a set of concrete stairs that just were in the middle of this giant room. And as you can imagine, she laughed pretty hard at that. <laughs> All the way until they started cleaning the blood up and then, and then she saw. But there are people like that. It's a weird quirk that people have where it's just the first instinct is to laugh at something like that. And it's a silly example, but there are people who genuinely take pleasure when they see other people fall or fail, when they're humiliated for real, when they're embarrassed and broken, when people are knocked down a peg. It makes them feel better about themselves when people are cut down to size. But your God is not like that. He's not waiting for you to trip up so he can say, I told you so. He isn't hoping that you fail so that he can mock you. No, our God is a friend that sticks closer than a brother, a very present help in times of trouble. Because love shows up, and God always shows up, just like he did here for the disciples. Here's an artist's depiction of what that might have looked like as Jesus walks out into the darkness, into the deep, to find his fearful friends scared to death. If we were God and we controlled it all, we might somehow take pleasure in seeing people rocking and rolling on a small boat out on the ocean. Knowing that we could stop it, knowing that we could, you know, step in at any time, seeing the fear that's in their eyes and thinking, ha, you know, look at them. They don't even know that I'm going to rescue them. That's not our loving God. Immediately, Jesus walks out to them and he speaks to them and says, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. You can hear the love in his voice like a gentle a parent dealing with a frightened child. God is love, and nothing can separate us from it. And we can't even begin to fathom how deep and how wide His love is for us. And His love, He showed up for the disciples when He walked on their storm-tossed, uh, walked up to that storm-tossed ship on the waves. And he showed up for us when he walked up a hill called Calvary in our place. Jesus is with us. God is in control. God loves us. And lastly, it's not about my faith. It's about his faithfulness. Peter always seems to be the first disciple to act, and this is good in some ways. In other ways, he doesn't always think everything through. But in this situation, I've got to give Peter some props here. 
I might have thought maybe later, like weeks later, wow, I guess I should have asked Jesus if I could walk on the water, like he did. But to immediately see this ghostly-looking Jesus in a storm and to ask if he could come to him walking on water, that's, that's insane. And sure, Peter got scared, and sure, he takes his eyes off Jesus and he sinks, but I would have never even thought to ask that question, let alone get out of the boat. And yes, Peter didn't have enough faith in this situation, but Jesus had enough power. And Jesus is faithful enough, even in our weakness. Peter's doubt was fighting inside of him. He was divided in two, double-minded. I believe, but Lord, help my unbelief. But he took that problem to Jesus because God isn't scared of our doubts or our questions. Never let your doubts push you to run away from God. Run to him and doubt your doubts and trust God. Reach out to him and he will save us anyway. Over and over again, we see these people that brought their little faith to Jesus. And that little faith was enough. Because it's not about my faith, it's about his faithfulness. This beautiful event in history shows us that in our storms and in our chaos and in the darkness, Jesus is with us. God is in control. God loves us. And even when my faith is weak, his faithfulness is strong. I'm not sure what you're going through in a room this size. There's probably some real pain and sorrow and tragedy. And you're not sure how it's all going to work out. You're not sure how you're going to make it through the next day. Take it to Jesus. Even when you only have a mustard seed size faith, reach out to him. I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. Don't be afraid. Through all of this struggle, these disciples got to see see a clearer picture, a vivid picture that Jesus is the Son of God. With every head bowed, as we head into a time of meditation and reflection, known as the invitation. Life is hard. There's a lot of trauma in this room today. Things from your past that affect your now. There's a lot of worry and anxiety about the future, about what will happen tomorrow. There's a lot of hurt and pain as people have lashed out to us. There's a lot of guilt and shame about how we've lashed out at other people. Maybe even bitterness taking hold of things that happened long ago that we're still living in in this moment. And it's hurting us. It's eating us up. It's like poison on the inside. I'm not sure what storm 
you're in or coming out of or going into. But I know that we serve a risen Savior. And I know that if he were to stand before you in this storm right now, that he would say to you, like he said to the disciples, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. And you might be like Peter, where at first, man, you're trusting God, but then it's week three of this storm and this trial, and now your fear is overcoming your faith. Don't stop reaching out to him. Even when your faith is shaking, even when there's cracks that are showing, when the doubt of double-mindedness and unstable thoughts come through your mind, continue to reach out to him. Because it's not about the size of your faith. It's about the faithfulness of the creator of the universe who made this all. We're going to spend a moment here just in prayer before we go into our time of communion. Whatever struggles you've got, whatever pain or guilt that you're going through, bring it to him. Maybe you even want to come down to the altar down here in front as just a symbol of laying down your burdens and bringing your pain to Him. I grew up my whole life going down to the altar to pray. And there's something special about it. It's not, it's not the location. It's the act taking those steps and saying, God, I don't care what someone might think. I'm going to kneel before you and I'm going to lift up my problem to you. So as we take some time to pray before communion here, whatever God moves in your heart to do, whatever problem he's brought up or struggle or storm, Let's take some time to bring it to him.